Welcome y bienvenidos to the Bridge Covenant Church Podcast. Whether you weren't able to join us on Sunday or just thought the message was so nice you listened to it twice, we pray these words will encourage you in your walk with Jesus. For more information about today's sermon or to learn more about Bridge, please visit us at bridgecovenant.org. Good morning. Got a little double duty going on here. Running my slideshow. Technology is pretty cool, huh? It's not me, it's the technology. Hey, congratulations. Uh, you know, by Wednesday, most of us, uh, you know, if somebody knows how to do that board, maybe turn me down a little bit. Uh, most of us will have read the entire New Testament. Uh, what a wonderful gift of obedience and faith that we have practiced. And we sincerely hope you've enjoyed reading together, talking together uh, about Messiah. And we hope you've experienced God's words not as just some reference book that's been on your shelf, just pulling it out for a verse or three, but instead of engaging these big chocolatey chunks of the Jesus life. You know, it's sweet, but like nice dark chocolate that's a little bitter. And as you'll read in Revelation, John, he's told to eat a little scroll and the meaning is he's going to identify fully with all that it says. And it tastes sweet, but it's bitter in his stomach. The gospel is sweet. It offers grace, but there is often bitterness when we're faced with a need for repentance and when we encounter those who refuse to turn away from sin. Revelation is a book which reveals God's intervention to restore God's creation. And whether the text is about the past or the future, its call is for immediate action in the present. So with our congratulations, we want to encourage you to keep reading. And if you fell behind or miss some readings, finish it. So you may boast, and I may boast with you that we have read the New Testament. And also be sure to check out the great information after Revelation in your Immerse book. It talks about the philosophy of Immerse, and it provides great information on the different types of writing in the Bible, and it even has some cool maps. So uh, we will return to Immerse in the fall. Fall of 2019, Beginnings uh, is the next Immerse book. It's the first five books in the Old Testament. So it's great to go from Revelation to Genesis and Exodus. I look forward to the connections you'll make as you see the history and context from many things written in the Messiah book. You know, a lot of things that my group talked about were like, what is this? And a lot of it is stuff that there are gaps that just need to be filled in. So be patient. Uh, you can always read ahead, but over the next three years, some of that will start to fill in. And really, as you continue to read the Old Testament, you'll find no greater source for understanding much of what you read in Revelation. And now John, the writer of Revelation, he's well informed about the Old Testament and assumes his readers are as well. So much of the imagery, the representations of God's people and those who are not God's people find their original expression in books like Exodus, uh, which is part of this beginnings book that we'll read in the fall. So looking forward to it. Now, back in 2017, after a complete Revelation Bible study, in, uh, we dived deep into Revelation. And over the course of almost four months, uh, with, you know, there was an annual meeting and some music message meal and a guest preacher that we didn't require to preach from Revelation. Uh, we made it all the way through chapter 8. 
<laughs> of 22 chapters. It's, and, and not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> you know, preaching through Revelation is tough because the context is super important and it requires us to give a lot of background. Um, so in honor of the work that we've done in the past with Revelation, and because Revolution may be this tricky read, this kind of stuff that sticks out to you or that's confusing to you as you read this week, uh, I'm picking up today where we left off in 2017, uh, because one of my goals is to preach through all of Revelation. <laughs> so, and, 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 and so some of you may kind of remember some of this stuff before, but I always kind of do a little bit of background because... Uh, you know, there might be people that are new with us. But the Greek word for revelation is nearly identical to the Spanish title, apocalypsis. And apocalyptic literature was a genre, <coughs> like poetry is a type of writing. And it's a special type of prophetic writing which moves beyond prophets who are just typically calling a spade a spade and, and calling for people to repent and rejoin God's will. Apocalyptic writing addresses a situation that is so desperate. Repentance just doesn't seem to quite be able to handle it. God must intervene. God must break in. Break into history, create new possibilities for the world. So the breaking in was the work of Jesus. And Revelation reveals the authority of the slain lamb. We sang a lot of great songs today. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, that really connect to Revelation. And this... Slain lamb has authority over the power of empire and violence. And God, in Revelation, just kind of lifts the curtains. If you can look backstage and see what's happening, he shows us what's going on behind the scenes. It's not that easy, though. Revelation, though popular in John's day, kind of seems like gobbledygook to us. We have trouble with how it communicates, because we may not know the Old Testament or the history and social setting of the recipients, or the use of fantastic imagery, or symbolic use of numbers and metaphor. We may not know that well enough to understand what the book is saying, but it's worth the look to figure that stuff out, because revelation is key. Let me repeat, it is key to understanding what God has done and is doing to undo evil in the world. In it, we witness our hope and our destiny. It gives us eyes to see the world around us for what it is. It instructs us to be faithful in following Jesus, and it offers the hope we need to persevere in the suffering that we experience because God is faithful. And it is not, it is not a playbook for how the future will unfold. It is not to be read alongside the news, looking for clues to figure out which countries will come from the north which person is the, quote, Antichrist, because that's not even in there, or what military vehicle best describes a locust with big stingers. It is not a message written in a bottle, only to be understood sometime in the far future, maybe by us, we might think, near the time of Jesus' return, we hope. It was written for us, not to us. Revelation is apocalyptic, but it is more than that. It is also a letter written to seven churches, and it is also prophecy, which reveals reality today and reality for tomorrow. The original re recipients, they understood it. It was written to them. They got it because they knew how to read apocalyptic books. But even though it was not written to us, we must realize that 
that as it discusses the future, it always calls for a response from you, from us right now. So a little bit more. Even though Rome was a tough place for this new Jesus movement, it was not persecution which most threatened the young church. The real threat is the same threat that we face today. It's moral compromise with the values, idolatrous values of whatever culture we live in. For them, it was the values of Rome. For us, it's the values of our country and our world. What values threaten the witness of the church? What American values maybe perhaps threaten your life in Christ? Revelation also walks deeply into the disturbing waters of theodicy. Okay, theodicy is this fancy word to define our conversations about, and I quote, what's God, all-powerful God, doing? If God is so powerful, why doesn't God act immediately and just stop all evil right now? Is God powerless? Is God really good? These are deep waters, I think, because they call us deeper into faith and deeper into Christian maturity. They are questions which ultimately end up pointing fingers back at us. Because when God acts fully, there is no more time for us to invite others into life in Christ. And because, listen, we are not innocent of evil. Time to repent is not just for those evildoers. Time to repent is for you and for me. But the short of this theodicy discussion is that God is acting, and God is using you, the people with authority in Christ. God is using your witness, your faithfulness, your prayers, and yes, your suffering to tear down the structures of evil. Theodicy, because of how God has adopted us as daughters and sons, is not just about what God is doing. It is very much about what you and I are doing. And we're not to abdicate, abdicate God's call on us by blaming God for not taking care of evil on our timeline. In Revelation, we do read how God is dealing with evil. And when God does act fully and completely, it is frightening in its finality. Barring the saints, no one would survive. God maximizes the possibility for all people to repent by making the cross God's principal means for exacting justice in the world. So if you want to know what good God is doing about evil, read and reread Revelation. Revelation presents evil in a way that should make you very uncomfortable when you read it. The imagery and the language, they're pretty ugly. And part of the discomfort is that the church is often implicated as, as participants in evil. Like when you read the letters to the seven churches, you should note that Jesus is actually putting the churches on trial. They are judged. And some are found quite wanting. You know, standing at the, no- at the door and knocking, we kind of think of that as some evangelistic thing. You know, he's talking to his followers He's standing at the church door saying, hello, remember me? There is purpose in what God is doing. 
And it has everything to do with the work of Jesus and the power of the way of the cross. We need to continually learn about the way of the cross and to trust in its power. You and I are not standing, sitting here because the cross is weak. You and I are here because the cross has brought freedom and forgiveness. Amen? Amen. All right. It's tough to jump back into Revelation because I feel like this calls for a lot of preamble, but that's enough. Let's jump into Revelation 9. Actually, I'm going to start back one verse. So you can find this in your Immersed Bible, too, if you like. Uh, Revelation 8.13 or page 464 or 495 in your Spanish version. Then I looked and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror! 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 I don't know what an eagle sounds like. <laughs> to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. And then the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth and they were given power to sting like scorpions they were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees but only the people who did not have the seal of god on their foreheads they were told not to kill them but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their witchcraft, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Weird, huh? It's apocalyptic. 
Embrace it. It means something. Get into the imagery and figure it out. So we are in the midst of this second cycle of judgments. The first cycle was the seven scrolls. Now it's the seven trumpets and the ultimate judgment and why God delays it is described in the seven bowls way, way in chapter 15, 16. So that'll be like two years from now. <laughs> Again, please do not read these three cycles as 21 consecutive events. Okay, a better reading is that this is the same cycle described three times. Uh, each cycle is unique, uh, gives unique understandings, while at the same time there are repeated themes of increased intensity, which help us understand what God is doing about evil and how people respond to God. So you can see there's kind of a figure one is the sequential view, but uh, the second one kind of shows the same things, but they get compressed, they get more intense. Uh, and so each one is talking about the same thing, judgment, but each one has a little bit different slant, and each one gets a little bit more uh, troublesome as we go. But here's the number one reason to dismiss this notion that it's 21 consecutive events. At the end of each cycle, God shows up. And when God shows up, it's the end. And the end doesn't come three times. Okay, so let's try to understand what God is revealing in this particular second pass, the trumpet cycle. We started with the end of chapter 8 because the three terrors announced by the eagle correspond to the 5th, 6th, and 7th trumpet. Okay, so we'll just get that little thing out of the way. That, that catches our attention for a reason. Things are intensifying. The 1st and 4th trumpets uh, affected the natural world, but these last three attack humans directly. The eagle often signifies God's deliverance and hope. I think I'm in the wrong spot here. Let me... Nope. That's right. Uh, but here it also notes judgment swooping down on God's enemies. And the eagle is also the insignia of Rome. Uh, so we once again see that God uses those who defy God to ironically become God's agents for accomplishing God's plans. Okay. So, here we go. Note that this star, uh, it's a little bit confusing looking at this thing. Oh, I have this slide repeated twice. Shoot. Okay. Well, you'll have to look back in your text. Um, this star wasn't falling. It had already fallen. Okay. Uh, this reinforces that the eagle or, or, or humans are as God's agents. Okay. This is... This is something that has already happening, happened. It's not just Satan. Human beings have the power to unlock and release evil into the world. God allows these humans to do what they do. They unlock evil, and the evil itself begins to destroy them. In short, humans destroy themselves. So use your imagination here. This is evil being released. It is not smoke being released. The bottomless pit is a prison for evil spirits, and God sees the presence of evil as a darkness so thick it clogs people's minds and bodies and turns their world into darkness. These locusts are horrifying. We should remember Exodus and the plagues which helped free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Like evil smoke, these 
locusts just cover the land, destroy everything around them. But they, here they're prevented. God protects the world from full-on evil, from damaging the world. But they can attack God-haters. So again, use your apocalyptic imagination. God lifts the curtain so we can see that sin torments the human soul just as a swarm of bugs torments the unfortunate person. I was traveling uh, from a conference one time, and I, I was just kind of camping wherever. I was driving across Colorado, and I thought, oh, Brown's Wildlife Refuge. That looks like a cool place to stop. I had everything with me for adventure. I had my mountain bike. I had my fly rod. And I went, and I, and I popped by this river, and I was like, I could see the fish rising like crazy. <clears throat> and the reason was because the bugs were crazy. And I tried to get my rod ready, and uh, I hadn't had it out in a while, and I was trying to, I could not tie a fly on. I literally could not do anything. They were just everywhere, like smothering me. I tried to hide in my vehicle, but it wasn't long enough for my fishing rod, so I was kind of reaching out with my hands. <laughs> I, it was, uh, you could see them in the air, thick, like, not just a few. It was, yeah, I just finally hid in my tent. <laughs> so, yeah, bugs, if you've been in bugs, they're, they're awful. But this is not, uh, this is a little bit more serious than that, right? So, how about five months? Five months? Well, well, not really, okay? Numbers are highly symbolic in Revelation. I just suggest that you read this as a limited amount of time, okay? There's a beginning and an ending. So, a locust the size of horses with frightening armor and wings and teeth and so on. Okay, evil is scary. That's the point. It should scare the crap out of you. This is an army of evil commanded by Satan. The battle is for human souls. We're reading about a spiritual battle. And most frightening of all, this evil has a human face. So it's describing evil and it's implicating their perpetrators. People release evil. People join forces with Satan. What you need to realize is that what this evil looks like. God is lifting the curtain, and you and I might see a powerful country and wealth and progress and seemingly harmless cultural practices, which don't seem to be too big a deal. But in the first two fourth scrolls or trumpets, the cycles predominantly reveal in different ways that empire, this kind of conquering and just in order to control, is perpetuated by violence. That's the main tool. It leads to economic crisis and that damages people that are powerless, and it all leads to death. This evil is ugly. But we need spiritual eyes, Scripture and the Holy Spirit and each other, to really see its ugliness. But I, I think we are aware of sin's ugly nature, because we have all experienced the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual torment of sin. Perhaps some of us have longed for death. Now, a life that shuts out God, no matter how it looks on the outside, is a nightmare. The curtain is lifted. Revelation is teaching us that sin may not look so bad, but God sees it for what it is. Evil is U-G-L-Y. The consequences may be hidden to us, but not to God. 
We are called to action. See sin for what it is and what it does. This is certainly a message for God-haters. But it is possible, or is it possible, that the call to action might include imagining that our own sin is a horror and God sees it and He longs to free us? John brings us closer to this final judgment to those who hate God. The last judgment was truly a terror. Two more are coming. The sixth trumpet is very much a repeat of the fifth. Only it's worse. And now it's not just torment, but death is the result. And this is death with no hope in Christ. The release of these four angels, and realize again, these are fallen angels, demons. Is the release of the ultimate consequence of evil. Note that God has held this evil back. But ultimately, God allows evil to be seen for what it is and to do what it does. Again, God has given humanity freedom to make its own choices and to live with the consequences. The work of Christ is the work that frees us from the worst consequences, the guilt, the torment that we saw in the fifth trumpet. We live out this freedom and implore others to be released from the insanity of sin. Through Christ's work of dismantling sin and liberating the sinner, our own sin helped us realize we are powerless against evil. But Christ is not powerless. Jesus received our consequences. Jesus received the death you and I prepared for ourselves. But the bitter reality Revelation explains for us is not all call upon Jesus. Here are these four demons, and that's the reality. These may look like angels, but they are masquerading. They're in disguise. God helps us see them for what they are. Here, these four demons give the assist. The consequence of sin is death. The Euphrates River was the historical area from whence the enemies of God traditionally came. Listen, it's to the north. The Assyrians, the Persians, they all came from the north. But it is not a people or a, <clears throat> excuse me, or a country that attacks God's people and way. It is judgment. It is the consequence of hating God and God's ways. These people and countries were used by God to bear out the consequences of the evil with which the Israelites had aligned themselves. And here it is again, from the north, from the Euphrates, this horrible evil unleashed comes as this innumerable army of consequences, an army of death. An army of horrifying evil embodying human traits. Again, we can look to the Exodus plagues as source material, but the plagues are intensified. Uh, they are more deadly, more ugly. The intensification is related to these cycles that we discussed earlier. In the scroll series, a quarter of the earth is destroyed. Now the destructiveness of sin, the horror of evil, is revealed to be even more terrible. A third of the earth's people die because they have refused to follow God's love. And fire, smoke, and sulfur, and these colors of red, blue, and yellow, they're like the armor of these writers. They're Old Testament metaphors for the fatal judgment of the ungodly and their eternal separation from God. That's what we fight against. That's what God fights against. See what is being said. 
This horrifying vision of evil is revealing that evil is judged and the consequences of sin is eternal death. But not everyone dies. Here is the phenomenal reality that Revelation forces us to see as well. No matter how horrifying sin and evil is, no matter the damage it causes, there are people who absolutely refuse God's offer of freedom and peace. And this is repeated in the sixth stage of all three cycles. The sixth stage is always about people who absolutely, positively are dying. They're hiding, trying to get away, and yet they will not repent and receive life. God allows evil to bear its ugly fruit so that people may realize they desperately need saving, so that people may repent and come into the loving shelter of God's holy embrace. Yet many, many, many refuse. I'm amazed at how hopeful God is. God hopes for all humanity. God hopes to the point of going to the cross, of suffering and dying on our behalf, of waiting and waiting in order to bring in one more lost sheep. So praise God in whom salvation is freely offered and joyfully found. Amen? So what about all this? First, I think give praise to God. Revelation leads us in proper praise. Because here's the real deal in heaven. This is what all the temples were fashioned after. What happens here? There's a worship service going on in Revelation. And they sing, worthy is the Lamb. We sang it this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Blessings and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And from Romans, who will free us from this life that is dominated by horrible evil? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Second, see the world for what it is. We praise God and we see the world for what it is. See your sin for what it is. See clearly from see clearly that from which Jesus rescued you. And third, recognize this call to action. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are safe. Your salvation is secure. But your safety is not a place to hide. We are given shelter from the storm of sin which rages around us. You know, when you're in a terrible storm, you cannot see. You run, you try to hide, but there's no shelter. There's no escape. You're being pummeled. You're being swept away. You may not be able to control where you're going or even see where you're going or where you came from. And you desperately seek shelter. And maybe you get to a car or a house and then you have security. But you also begin to see outside the window the storm that is raging. And you see the damage from this perspective that is causing, it's not just hurting your own little world but the damage to the world around you. Because this is a big storm. Revelation reveals the storm. It reveals the evil all around us. And what you see, what we see, is not what God sees. 
God sees God's creation being destroyed by the casual and not so casual disregard for this whole and healthy life to which God calls all people. So use your shelter, your revelation vision, your revel vision to work with God. As John, 1 John 3 tells us, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of, of God. We don't continue in a life which in God's eyes is quite literally horrifying. God is so concerned for you, so in love with us, that God wants us to see clearly and join him in breaking evil's back through the love and power of the cross. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Bridge Covenant Church podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at bridgecovenant.org.